Good morning, church. This morning I'm going to be reading from Nehemiah 6. Sanbala, Jobiah, and Jessam, the Arab, heard about what I had done, so the rest, and so had the rest of our enemies. All of them heard I had rebuilt the wall. In fact, they had heard that there weren't any gaps left in it. But up to that time, I hadn't put up the gates and the main entrances to the city. Sanbala and Jessam sent me a message. They said, come, let's talk with one another. Let's meet in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me, so I sent a messenger to them with my answer. I replied, I'm working on a huge project, so I can't get away. Why should I stop work while I leave it? Why should I go down and talk to you? They sent me the same message four times, and I gave them the same answer each time. Sanbala sent his helper to me a fifth time. He brought me the same message. He was carrying a letter that wasn't sealed. It said, the report is going around among the nations. Jessam says it's true. We heard that you and the other Jews are planning to turn against the Persian rulers, and that's why you are rebuilding the wall, building the wall. It's also reported that you are about to become their king. The people say that you have an even appointed prophets to make an announcement about you. In Jerusalem, they are going to say Judah is king. That report will get back to the king of Persia. So come, let's meet together. I sent a reply to Sanbala and said, what you are saying isn't really happening. You are just making it up. All of them were trying to frighten us, they thought. They thought their hands will get too weak to do the work, so it won't be completed. But I prayed to God and I said, make my hands stronger. One day I went to Shemaiah's house. He was the son of Deleah. Deleah was the son of Metabel. Um, Shemaiah had shut himself up in his home. He said, let's go to God's house. Let's meet inside the temple and close the doors. Some men are coming tonight to kill you. But I said, why should I... Why should a man like me run away? Why should someone like me go into the temple just to save his life? No, I won't go. I realized that God hadn't sent, sent Shemaiah. Tobiah and Sanbal, Sambala had hired him, and that's why he had prophecy, prophesy, prophecies against me. They had hired him to scare me. They wanted me to commit a sin by doing what he said. That would give me a bad name in the community. People would find fault in me and my work. You are my God. Remember what Tobiah and Sanbala have done. Also remember the prophet Nodiah. She and the rest of the prophets have been trying to scare me. So the city wall was completed on the 25th day of the month of Ulu. It was finished in 52 days. All of our enemies had heard about it. All the nations around us became afraid. They weren't sure of themselves anymore. They realized that our God had helped us finish the work. In those days of the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And replies from Tobiah came back to them. Many, of, many people in Judah had, heard, had promised that they would be faithful to him. That's because he was Shekinah's son-in-law. Shekinah was the son of Era, Tobiah's son, Jehovah. Jehovanan had married Meshlam's daughter. Meshlam was the son of Berekah. Tobiah's friends 
kept reporting to me the good things he did. They also kept telling him what I had said. And Tobiah himself sent letters to scare me. One of those passages that uh, if, you're, if you're assigned to read it, you think you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I apologize. It, it's in the Bible, but, you know, really there could have been easier names than that. Um, the good thing about it is, um, as you may or may not know, he, biblical Hebrew is a dead language. And so all the vowels are added in in modern times, not in those times. So we actually don't exactly know how they're supposed to be pronounced. And so as long as you say it with confidence, you can say, I have as good of a chance of being right as somebody that pronounces it another way because the vowels were added later in history anyway. So... Um, <clears throat> As I was uh, reading over this passage and thinking back to last week when Chad spoke for us, oh, I, I think I'm supposed to say who I am. My name is Jeff, and uh, when we are in the area, this is our home church. And so, as Chad said last week, we have the privilege of journeying with you. Um, if, I, if I don't look familiar, that's okay, because a lot of times I'm journeying somewhere else with my wife, Darlene, in another part of the world. But I was thinking about it, and, you know, there's a lot of similarities, or there's some similarities between chapter 4 and chapter 6, because it's about this opposition that Nehemiah faced. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to an arcade. If you're younger, you might say, an arcade, what in the world is that? But anyway, there was a game, Whack-A-Mole, uh, you know, Whack-A-Mole, right? Whack-A-Mole. And, and, and the, the mole just keeps, it's just a simple thing, and there's holes, and these, you know, little fake moles pop up, and then you have a club, and you bang on them. And then there's always a point in the game where it goes a little bit quiet, and you think, ah, I got him. I got him, finally. And then another one pops up, and then eventually your quarter or 50 cents or however much you had to spend runs out, and then the game's really over. But I feel like that's almost the, the sense that we get in Nehemiah is, you know, in chapter 4, uh, he kind of pursues through, and, and it's just about the time you get over, and then you get to chapter, actually, 5. There's some good stuff in there. Read that. And chapter 6, and it's like the, it just keeps popping back up. So just the time you think it's over, it pops back. Now, I thought you can learn a lot from, uh, from kids' programs, actually, I think. And so I want to just, uh, I need some help here. So we have some um, heroes and villains, okay, that we're going to do. So, uh, all right, so, uh, so, okay, so, he may, so who knows who this is? Anybody? Just shout it out. He-Man. Right, right, yeah, okay, right. He-Man, a master of the... Okay, and who was one of He-Man's really big villain enemies? Skeletor. Oh, Skeletor, look at that, okay. All right, there's Skeletor, all right, let you know that. Okay, these are going to get harder, all right, all right, so... Uh, next one, who's ever heard of these guys? Is this? Yeah. Anybody been to the, if you've been to the um, Children's Museum right now, they have a whole display. So if you love Wildcrats, little paid announcement here. Uh, they're going to send the restoration money, I'm sure. Uh, there's a, so who, who are the Wildcrats? Who are their, who's their enemy? Who knows? Zach. Oh, there he is. Kind of a weaselly looking guy. You, Who's another enemy of the wild crats? Um, 
right? And then there's another one, a big fat guy. What does he do? He cooks the animals. I like the big fat cook. Yeah, anyway. So anyway, Wildcats. Okay, now, now we're going to go uh, a little bit old school here. Who knows who this is? Popeye. Okay, and who was Popeye's nemesis? Pluto. Okay, so all you kids, when old people were young, this is what we watched on TV. <laughs> Nothing near, okay. <laughs> all right, and, and here, was, here was what Batman used to look like, a guy named Adam West. And he had a lot of villains, but one of the, my favorite was the penguin. Burgess Meredith is the penguin. Now, here's the lesson we need to learn. Here's the important spiritual lesson. You know what cartoons tell us? That when, what? Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> when an episode ends, so when the Wild Kratz beat Zack, he's going to come back for another episode. Right? I mean, it's only in the big box movies where the villains get finally vanquished, right? But they, they just keep coming back. And we almost live in this delusion that that isn't supposed to happen. I want to have us just think back to some things that Chad said last week, because I think it was really good. He talked about ways we can overcome. And, and I did tell him, I said, I don't know if you said this, but it's what I wrote down. And when I looked at it on Friday, it looked right. So anyway, uh, but he said there were three things that we can do. Prayer, and in the passage today, we see that Nehemiah prays at least twice in the midst of that. Scripture, the importance of looking to God's word for answers, and community. And he said something that I really like. He said, it's not about our comfort. It's not about our comfort. Because if it's about our comfort, then we just have to look away from the book of Nehemiah and we have to say, uh, it's, it, it just doesn't, it just it kind of, he has to keep struggling along. And that's not what we're supposed to do. Now, I thought that as a, kind of another public service announcement, because it, it seems to me there's a lot of babies and I thought, wouldn't it be great if we went to the scriptures, because it's supposed to be our uh, rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. And uh, so I thought, wouldn't it be great if I helped you out with some potential baby names? And that's what the name, Nehemiah. So, you know, I guarantee you, if you're looking for the trendy baby name and you don't want to do that, here's some really good options, all right? All right, so we've got, we, these are people that were adversaries. So kind of like, you know, kind of like Wild Kratz and Zach or He-Man and Skeletor. Um, these, were, these were Nehemiah's, they were nemesis of him. And they just kept kind of coming at him. But as I was looking at it, I thought, well, this is really interesting. Look at their names. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and Shemaiah. Now, here's the deal. They, they aren't familiar names to us, so maybe they sound a little weird or a little scary, but look at what these names mean. Strength. Pleasing to the Lord. Firmness. God hears. Um, 
One of the things that I think we don't realize is that sometimes opposition comes from places that actually seem kind of spiritual. I think we need to be able to discern well what is going on. Now, who were these people? Well, we know that um, Nehemiah had come uh, kind of with the blessing of the king of Persia, who was the ruling world power at that time. And he had come, and so he was there, and he was working to rebuild the walls. And in uh, chapter 5, we see that he got an allowance, but uh, due to poverty and th some things that were going on, like he did not personally benefit at all. He spent it all to help people. Sambalat, we know from some uh, scripts, were from... Samaria, which is just uh, to the north. He was in the north. He was probably a government official, maybe a governor. So, so this thing has a little bit of political intrigue to it. Uh, Geshem was from the south. And uh, Shemaiah, he was actually uh, a person who had worked on the wall. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 29, you will see that he is, uh, he is he's listed there as one of the people that worked on the wall, and he and his father were in charge of the east gate. So, so you know, we look at this and we just think, well, they, they're, these, they're these people that are, you know, kind of, they actually all have a connection. There's an inner connection and these things ought to be working well, but they're not. And one of the things that I find interesting, and, and it's, just, uh, it, it's said, it says uh, when it's talking about uh, uh, Shemaiah, it, it talks about him being uh, kind of locked up in his house. And, and what that almost sounds like is he's afraid. But if you look at the word, and if you I think the, probably the better translation is he was confined. Not confined by others, but I think probably a big stone rolled on him. Or, you know, he broke his foot or he fell off a wall. I don't know what happened, but he was, he was, he was injured. And so the fact that Nehemiah, and we know this about Nehemiah's character, he goes to visit him. It's not to set him right. He goes to visit him because Nehemiah is a caring leader. And so he goes to visit him, and what does he find out? This guy is, is uh, this guy's up to no good. He's had time on his hands. And Samalat and Tobiah, they've gotten to him. And so there's this kind of conspiracy that happens and that runs throughout this passage. And, and you look at it and you think, now wait a minute. Okay, it's, it's, this, it's this tension between the end of Nehemiah 6 where the surrounding countries see that the wall is rebuilt and, and they're actually fearful because they recognize that God is in it. But the people around him the people that should know better. They're the places, at this point, that's where the pressure's coming from. And I think we, we kind of lose it once in a while when we're not willing to admit that we can be part of the problem. I mean, it's really easy for me to look out and say, 
So the lesson here for all of you is you're part of the problem. <laughs> right? No, the lesson is Jeff is part of the problem. That's why if we go back to Chad's list, that's why prayer and scripture and community is so important because that's what keeps us on track. And that's what helps realign us to the way we ought to be. Now, if you're not quite fully convinced yet, I want to have us think about Jesus' own experience. Uh, Mark tells, uh, as you know, Mark is kind of the Reader's Digest version of everything that goes on in the Gospels. And, uh, and so this is Mark's uh, account of uh, the temptation of Jesus. So can you just, let's read that together, okay? At that time, we're like, 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 like your mouths should move too, okay? <laughs> this is what we're all reading together, I know, like in your heads, but with, with voices, all right? Here we go, all right? At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out of the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, if you look at that, well, okay, if, if you look at that... Um, <laughs> He's the Reader's Digest version, but um, in the, the next slide over, what would be the thing that maybe isn't in the other passages? Do you see a, a phrase there, something that, that other gospel writers don't include? Or what, what's, what, right, I'll tell you what, it's in the last line. In the last line, think wild crats. Okay, wild animals. And you may say to yourself, that's kind of an interesting addition, right? I wonder, wonder, wonder what uh, Mark was up to. Well, this is what Mark was up to, is Mark's primary source is Peter. And Peter was involved with the Roman church. And the Roman church was a persecuted church. And one of the ways they were persecuted was being thrown into stadiums with lions. And so this is one of those significant passages to a persecuted church where the gospel comes to them and it's like, you know, in the midst of this, Jesus went through what you're going through and the angels attended to him. But then I want to add what, Mar what Luke says. And I think that's really an important addition too. So just read this again with me. You did really well. All right. When the devil had finished this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You see, this is the message. This is the message of, of animated series. This is the great scriptural message is that even Jesus... After quoting Scripture to Satan, 
after besting the best that Satan had, he left him until an opportune time. So if that's the case for Jesus, how can it not be the case for us? I, 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 know we, I know we don't like this, and I know you're probably thinking, okay, I think there's supposed to be good news. So This sounds kind of like bad news. But there is good news. Here's some lessons um, that I think we can learn from the book of Nehemiah and particularly what we've done today. First of all, this, that doing the right thing doesn't exempt us from difficulty. You know, don't buy into this lie that if your life isn't going right, that there's something spiritually wrong. I mean, it may be. Like, sometimes we do dumb stuff. And sometimes, sometimes the natural consequences of doing wrong is that. But a lot of times, this is not because we're doing wrong. We can actually be doing all the right things. I look through the book of Nehemiah. I see the character of Nehemiah. I see how hard he worked. And it's like, this guy deserved a break. But he was faithful. And sometimes doing the right thing just doesn't exempt us from difficulty. We can get twisted up theologically. We had a, had a very good friend um, in the first uh, church we served in Nelson, B.C., and he was pastor at a local church. And uh, he was just, uh, it, this was a difficult church. You know, sometimes there's like pastor grinder churches. That's what pastors call them. Restorations, obviously not that. But pastor grinder churches. And, and in the six years I was there, this church had four different pastors. So that's kind of, you know, you just make hamburger out of the people. And uh, um, this friend of mine, Dave, came in. And he was one of the most gentle, godly people I have ever met. And in the midst of it, his wife uh, got cancer. And Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, the two of them had to go to church and hear people say, we just wish you could figure out what the sin is in your life. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and they kept going. He just said, I'm a servant until God calls me. This is what we're called to but he just, his heart broke for his wife. who People would directly come up to her and say that. That just doesn't square with Scripture. Second, sometimes very spiritual people can get it wrong. And I won't, I won't go on on this, but I'm, I'm just saying that you know, the, the example of Scripture is there's some great scriptural people that they got it wrong. Jesus is the only one that always gets it right. And we just have to remember that. And then third, we can't press on if we're consumed with others. We really, you know, if we, if we spend all our time thinking about the stuff that's going on out here, we're not going to get it right in here. In uh, verse 14 uh, of this passage, Nehemiah says a really interesting thing. He says, 
Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, because of what they have done. I think this is Nehemiah's way of teaching a lesson that he just said, I've got this wall to do. I've got some injustices happening in the community. I don't have time to be obsessed with these two people. And so, God, would you remember them? Would you take this? Would you do this? Because I can't. What you have called me to is not to think about these people that are against me. As I said, I think that Jesus is the, uh, Jesus is the answer. And in Hebrews chapter 12, here is the good news. And again, let's read this together because this is what we need to hear. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now I guarantee you that as bad as it is for any of us, none of us experience the opposition that Jesus, the Son of God, experienced. He is our example. Fix our eyes on him. How do we do that? I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, Chad, it was so good. Like, I'm going to go back to what he said. Fix our eyes on him through prayer. Scripture. Fix our eyes on him through Scripture. Fix our eyes on him as you see him embodied in the community that you are a part of so that you don't lose heart. Um. One of the things that uh, Darlene and I have the privilege of doing uh, in our work in the Middle East and North Africa is to visit brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that live in other places and live in other settings. And sometimes there are settings where you think, oh, this is pretty nice. And sometimes there are settings where you think, I don't know. I don't know that I could do this. Um, we were in a, uh, a small, very uh, remote town in North Africa. And... Um, this is, a, this is a small kind of a little village, and uh, what you see here is the entryway to a church. This isn't going into a local little airport. This is a local little church. All the churches in this remote place have metal detectors. Um, this is a place where, where to be a Christian, there's opposition, there's danger. It was interesting how it was kind of put against us is that um, because there were a bunch of uh, folks from North America, there was about 18 of us that was here, the army had actually sent a number of people. There were probably 20 uh, military people. So these are all like dirt streets, and you come around a corner and there'd be another, there'd be another uh, you know, Toyota pickup, old beat-up Toyota pickup, 
with a bunch of guys in uh, helmets, balaclavas, and automatic rifles. And they were there for us. They were there to make sure that we were safe. But it was interesting because when, we're, when we went into the church and during the question and answer time, somebody, uh, there was a question asked kind of along the lines of, so, so um, uh, you know, it was along the lines of, what would it be like if you were to, um, um, you know, directly reach out, uh, do evangelism, that, you know, that kind of thing. And, and the person, the, the person from North Africa that was uh, talking to us said, ah, I need to answer that later. And then told us later, if he had answered the question directly, he could have gone to jail right then. Like the people that were there to protect us, that would have been crossing a line and they would have turned from our protectors to people that were possibly against us. But then this next picture, this is inside of that church. And, uh, you know, it's just, you, you see these people and they're, these are wonderful people and they're smiling. And I look around and I think about the homes that we've been in where you'll go into a room and the only piece of furniture or anything in the entire room is one rug. Uh, some of the places uh, have concrete, some of them just have dirt floors. And yet the smiles we saw and the commitment, you know, when we heard about people and, and we heard about some of these, uh, uh, I think of one young boy and, and his mom was so proud because, you know, he attends two Bible studies and he never misses church. And it's just, you look around at their setting and you think there's all this opposition to the faith. And yet there is a joy. And I have to believe it's a joy because here are some people that can teach us that they focus not on what's going on around them, but they focus on Jesus Christ, who's the author and perfecter of pray with me? God, we are so thankful for your goodness. We thankful for the scriptures that give us these very real stories of real people that underwent real opposition and yet they were faithful and they overcame through you. And so help us today to be overcomers. Help us today as we think about Nehemiah. We think about his words, his response. What I am doing is too important. God, give us that in our heart, that what we are doing is too important to be distracted. And in those moments when we feel overwhelmed, in those moments when we do stumble, in those moments when we mess up, May the grace of your spirit just surround us and encourage us and pick us up and send us on our way. For we pray in the name of God, Father, Son, and Spirit.